Welcome to The Bid, where we break down what's happening in the markets and explore the forces changing investing. I'm your host, Oscar Polito. This year on The Bid, we're doing something a bit different. Throughout the year, we'll explore the themes that our listeners like best through mini-series on topics like technology, megatrends, and COVID-19. Let us know what you want to hear more about by emailing us at thebid at blackrock.com. Our first mini-series will cover our outlook for 2021. Today, Scott Thiel, BlackRock's chief fixed income strategist, shares the three themes we see driving markets this year. We'll talk about why we think investors should take risk in 2021, how to invest in a more divided world, and how COVID has added fuel to long-term trends like e-commerce and sustainability. Scott, thank you so much for joining us today on The Bid. Oh, yeah. Very, very happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So, Scott, it's a new year, which means the BlackRock Investment Institute has published a new outlook for the markets. A year ago, when we were talking about the 2020 outlook, I don't think any of us could have anticipated COVID-19 and the pandemic and the market volatility that it would bring. So how did the events of 2020 shape the outlook for 2021? Well, I mean, I think that's right. It's obviously been very hard to predict any of these events that we have experienced over the course of the last two years, really. But I do think as a result of the crisis, we have entered what we're calling a new investment order. The COVID pandemic has, in many respects, accelerated pre-existing and, in some sense, profound shifts in how economy and society operate. And we think about it really as four shifts leading to three investment outcomes. The four shifts are in sustainability, inequality, geopolitics, and macro policy revolution. So in other words, the COVID crisis has accelerated changes across those four dimensions. And in many respects, that has defined the new investment order. So for investors to position, to take advantage, we really look at three investment themes for 2021. Let's talk a little bit about what those three investment themes are then for 2021. The first is what we're calling new nominal, which is where we see stronger economic growth, lower real yields. So that is yields after accounting for inflation as a vaccine-led restart accelerates the economy. But at the same time, central banks limit the rise of nominal yields. So that is treasury yields even as inflation expectations climb. So you get this very interesting dynamic where interest rates stay very stable, but inflation begins to increase. And in that environment, can be very positive for assets. The second is what we're calling globalization rewired. It's quite a mouthful. But what we're trying to get at here is that the COVID crisis has in many respects accelerated a number of geopolitical transformations that were in train. So for example, U.S.-China trade relations was obviously a very tense area, particularly in 2017 and 2018, and the COVID crisis has accelerated that. And we find ourselves in what we're calling a bipolar U.S.-China world, and that bipolar nature, so alignment with the U.S. or alignment with China, is reshaping global supply chains and really putting greater emphasis on resilience, on ensuring that you can get a product to market rather than looking for the cheapest way to develop a supply chain. The third theme is what we're calling turbocharged transformations. 
And this is where, again, we look at how the crisis has accelerated pre-existing structural trends in the economy. And here, I think the most clear example of that is something like sustainability. By coming out of the crisis, we have seen such a demand for sustainable assets and sustainable investing, really as a result of concerns around the pandemic and around the health crisis. But there are also turbocharged transformations in inequality, and then obviously the dominance of what we're calling e-commerce at the expense of traditional retail. So really three themes, new nominal, globalization rewired, and turbocharged transformations. So let's walk through the first theme. You mentioned the new nominal, and you discussed the fact that we think we'll see stronger growth in the near term. Typically, that leads to higher inflation, which I think is part of that view. I think the textbooks often tell us that if we're seeing stronger growth and higher inflation, what accompanies that is higher interest rates. But it doesn't sound like that's going to be the case this time. In fact, it sounds like you're describing an environment where interest rates would remain actually pretty low, even as inflation is going up. So why is that the case? Why is it a little bit different this time? To us, this new nominal is really an incredibly important kind of bedrock of our outlook. Because what we're describing is this concept where inflation increases, not out of control. We're talking about inflation in the two and a half to three percent annual rate over the next couple of years. So not runaway inflation by any means, but clearly higher than the inflation that we've had before. But importantly, as we get inflation building as a result of the economy recovering, as a result of fiscal and monetary policy stimulating the economy to make up for the shortfall associated with the economic shutdown, which was a result of the COVID crisis, importantly, and here's the important part, We do not expect central banks in a traditional way to react to that higher inflation by tightening monetary policy. And the main reason for that is that the central banks are very well aware that the healing process needs to be significant to make up for the impact of the crisis. At the same time, many central banks have noted how inflation has been under the target for so many years. And now they're looking to ensure that inflation stays higher. So on balance, they would be less quick to tighten policy to address that. So it's a very, very interesting dynamic, but a very powerful one of where, unlike a traditional business cycle, inflation is actually a positive for risk assets, primarily because we believe central banks will keep rates on hold for quite some time. Scott, this theme of inflation moving higher, there's been some views that this would occur in recent years, and it really hasn't manifested in the way that some people have predicted. So what's different this time? What are those pressures you think that are building that are going to start to nudge that inflation rate higher? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very, very important and very germane question. And I think there are three reasons why inflation will grow over the near term. And again, just to be clear, we're not talking about runaway inflation, right? We're talking about inflation moving into the two and a half to 3% range over the next couple of years. I think the first is, again, as policy has been incredibly important in addressing the shortfall in income from the COVID crisis, monetary policy will remain easy as we continue to address that issue. So in other words, the economic impact of the lockdowns is gonna be with us for some time. And so policy will remain easy even as the economies grow and even as fiscal spending injects money into the economy. And so this idea that if central bankers will be more patient and wait for inflation 
to grow more than it would normally in a regular cycle is a very important part. The second is that in our mind, production costs are set to rise. And this links into one of our investment themes around global supply chains. So the simple story is that up until the COVID crisis, up until U.S.-China trade relations turned south, companies put supply chains in the cheapest place they could. But now, because of health concerns or because of geopolitical risk, manufacturers are forced to move their supply chains to less efficient places. That results, obviously, in higher production costs. So part of the acceleration and trends for us will be this idea that production costs are going to go up. The third is what we are calling pricing power. And this gets at the idea where many companies, particularly internet and tech companies, have tried to dominate market by taking market share. You know, Uber is a good example of something like that. What we would expect, though, is as that market share has been solidified and as production costs increase, companies are going to be able to exert what we're calling pricing power, or that is the ability to raise prices going forward. And so in many respects, it's a policy function because central banks are willing to let inflation run higher than they would in a normal business cycle because we're not in a normal business cycle. But it's also this fundamental acceleration that we've seen as a result of COVID, which in our mind leads to higher production costs and higher pricing power. A key linchpin here, as you mentioned, is just really central banks and their desire to be patient of what they do with interest rates. And this backdrop bodes well for, it sounds like, the stock market. But I want to talk to you about the second theme then, which you mentioned is globalization rewired. You touched on the tensions between the U.S. and China is part of this theme. You touched on the pandemic actually also being an important component of this theme in terms of how companies are thinking about where to source their supplies. So tell us a little bit more about the theme. And also, where does an incoming Biden administration play into this theme or does it? So I think, first of all, I'd have to recognize that the U.S.-China, call it rivalry, because I think that's the right term, was here before the COVID crisis. And that was obviously very prevalent in the U.S.-China relationship, particularly under the Trump administration. But in our mind, that's here to stay, regardless of who was in the White House. But China-U.S. rival resonates with Americans. It's a politically very important theme. So it's not something that we expect to change in the near term. That being said, under a Biden administration, we would expect there to be more transparency with respect to our negotiations with the Chinese, more transparency and potentially more consistency. Even taking that into account, the world is developing into two spheres of influence, the U.S. and China. And in our mind, globalization is going to need to be rewired to deal with that. So when we talk about supply chains, when we talk about production and where you set production up, companies, investors are going to have to think about this bipolar world that we live in and how to effectively rewire their globalization around that. And with that rivalry here to stay, what does that actually mean for how we invest globally? Does that mean we avoid China as an investment destination in portfolios? Or is there actually a case to be made that we should be increasing our investments in China? Yeah, I mean, this is a very, very important question for investors. And the answer in the short order is the second thing that you mentioned, which is that we see investment in China as a very important part of our investment thesis going forward. So this bipolar world 
of US and China, as investors, we want access to both of those. So long-term, we are particularly focused on overweighting or owning more of China going forward because we think this is going to be an important area for not only economic development, but assets as well. But in the near term, over the next year, again, what we want to do is get at the U.S. and get at China. And so the way that we do that is by advocating investment in U.S. equities, which take advantage of things like tech companies, internet commerce, telecommunications, but also invest in emerging markets with a particular focus on Asia x Japan. So it's not just China, but it's also the other countries in Asia. But the idea being that as investors, we get exposure to this bipolar world in both ways. So it is clearly a focus on China going forward, both on a tactical and on a strategic basis. Now, perhaps a good reminder to not let the geopolitical headlines get in the way of the investment thesis. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think that the geopolitical tension between the U.S. and China is clearly a risk investors face when investing in China. But, and it's a very important point, over the long term, we believe that investors are more than compensated for that risk at the moment. So let's talk about the third theme, which you mentioned is turbocharged transformations. And you touched on COVID-19 accelerating long-term trends that were already in place before the pandemic hit. You touched on sustainability, inequality, but maybe elaborate a bit more on what we mean by these transformations. So I think from an investment perspective, we should focus on sustainability and the dominance of e-commerce. But we do note that from a societal perspective, the widening wealth and income and health inequality have been important themes that have been exacerbated by the COVID crisis and ones that we all need to focus on going forward. From an investment perspective, let's look at sustainability and the dominance of e-commerce, because in many respects, those are trends that as investors, I think we can look at very closely. Now, it's very clear that investors are very focused on sustainability coming out of the crisis. We have seen a huge amount of demand for investments that are either green-related, green energy-related, or really more broadly around sustainability. Clearly, with the outcome of the election now solidified in the sense that we now know that the transition to power will take place, and President Biden has been very clear that things like electric cars and other green initiatives are going to be a very important part of his policy framework going forward. The second is this idea of this dominance of e-commerce. And here, the reinforcement of that theme drives our equity view overall and drives our country allocation inequities. We do see technology continuing to be a very important part of the market. And therefore, we recognize that obviously some of the bigger cap names have had very significant price run-ups. But we also think that the small cap space, so smaller capitalized companies, will also benefit from the focus on e-commerce. There's an additional wrinkle here with the Biden administration coming in and with the results of the Georgia election now giving ever so slightly the upper hand to the Democrats in the Senate, the possibility for regulation on technology is something that we need to think about. But the space is very, very important in terms of taking advantage of that e-commerce trend. So we may see big cap names underperform as a result of threats of further regulation, but small cap names in the technology space will be very attractive, and the sector overall, we think, will continue to do very well. The second is that in this 
e-commerce, but also taking into account our globalization rewired theme about this bipolar world between the U.S. and China, you also want to have exposure in your portfolio to Asia X Japan as a way of getting exposure to the big companies in Asia that are also taking advantage of the dominance of e-commerce. And that's China, but it's also countries like South Korea, as an example of where there's also opportunities. So in many respects, take advantage of the quality of U.S. companies and also the bipolar world of Chinese companies, I think is an important way of thinking about an investment thesis going forward. One of the questions that we often get around this dominance of e-commerce is, well, what happens about the companies that were really impacted by COVID? And in our mind, you have to think very carefully about those companies because some will obviously come roaring back as demand returns once the vaccination is sorted and once the health crisis is behind us. But some companies will have what we're called structural headwinds. And those are going to be the companies that are part of the space where clearly e-commerce is here to say more traditional retail is going to be more difficult. So we also want to look at companies that are going to benefit from the rebound in economic development and avoid companies that in many respects have what we're calling these structural headwinds to the development of e-commerce. So turbocharged transformations is really about trying to effectively make the best of your investment, looking at the trends that are coming out of COVID. Scott, you touched on the results in Georgia and the Democrats now having a slight majority in the Senate, and perhaps it has some regulatory impact. I'd be remiss to not then also mention you know, the events we saw in Washington, D.C., just more political headlines. Does any of this change the outlook that you've shared, or is this short-term noise that we should try and look through and think more strategically? No, I mean, I think it's obviously a very interesting question, and one obviously that is developing as we go through time here. On balance, it does not change our investment views at a top-line level. In many respects, I would say it accelerates some of them. So the new nominal is being accelerated by the fact that you now have a democratic control of all three parts of the U.S. government, right? Because spending will be greater. And therefore, this idea about the economic recovery pushing inflation expectations higher, but rates staying on hold, that is being accelerated by the results in the Georgia election. Things like globalization rewired or turbocharged transformations, in many respects, those will be, I think, themes that we have to face regardless of whether we have a Senate that is Democratic or Republican. One wrinkle there, I would say, is that because the Democrats now control all three parts of the government, the ability to appoint regulatory and judicial members by the Biden administration is going to be much less encumbered than it was before. And that on balance would suggest that when we talked about tech companies coming under further scrutiny, that's likely to be increased as we go through time, but it's a complex process and one that we'll have to monitor very closely. So I think that on balance, the longer term impact of what we've gone through very recently is not gonna have big change on our investment themes. I would say obviously from a shorter term perspective, part of the reason why in many respects the market, shrugged off is not the right word, but the risk assets continue to do well through the period of the Georgia runoff, and through the events that happened in the Capitol is in part because democracy has ultimately prevailed in terms of the outcome. 
But I also think that, as I mentioned earlier, the idea that we will get more fiscal spending in the current political setup than we would have in a divided government is obviously a very big positive for markets. I think the markets are looking through it and not to dismiss both the political and obviously the human impact of what happened in the capital, not to dismiss that at all. But I think the markets are looking through that. Well, it is interesting when you think about the political headlines we've seen recently, but at the same time, the stock market, at least in the U.S., hitting new all-time highs. So I suppose that is what you're saying here about how the political changes in D.C. just reinforce and anything accelerate that theme around the new nominal and what that means for the stock markets. Scott, just bringing it all together, what's the one thing you think investors need to know for the year ahead? So, I mean, I think the elevator speech, if you will, the main takeaway is that, you know, we are turning more pro-risk in 2021. Again, with the risks around the virus and the vaccines being central, we're looking to add equities, overweight credit. We think that equity premium looks reasonable. Lower rates in the new nominal are going to be very supportive of valuations in equity markets more generally. We advocate a balanced approach to get at the bipolar world of the U.S. and China. But as we look to the recovery as it will come and we look to the support that we see from policy, we are turning more pro-risk in 2021. Well, Scott, thank you so much for all these insights. I might add, I know you're based in London. Good luck with all the lockdown measures that are taking place there. We look forward to having you back on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for your time. On our next episode of The Bid, we'll talk about our outlook for the stock market with Tony Despirito. Chief Investment Officer for U.S. Active Equities. We'll see you next time. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by BlackRock, is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research, or investment advice, and is not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. The information and opinions contained in this material are derived from proprietary and non-proprietary sources deemed by BlackRock to be reliable, and are not guaranteed as to accuracy or completeness. This material may contain forward-looking information that is not purely historical in nature. There is no guarantee that any forecast made will come to pass. Reliance upon information in this material is at the sole discretion of the listener. Past performance is not indicative of current or future results. This information provided is neither tax nor legal advice, and investors should consult with their own advisors before making investment decisions. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, and you may not get back the amount invested. In the U.S. and Canada, this material is intended for public distribution. In the U.K., this is issued by BlackRock Investment Management UK Limited, authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority, registered office, 12 Throgmorton Avenue, London, EC2N2DL. Telephone plus 44020-7743-3000. Registered in England and Wales, number 202-0394. For your protection, telephone calls are usually recorded. BlackRock is a trading name of BlackRock Investment Management UK Limited. In Singapore, this is issued by BlackRock Singapore Limited, co-registration number 2000-10143N. In Hong Kong, this material is issued by BlackRock Asset Management North Asia Limited and has not been reviewed by the Securities and Futures Commission of Hong Kong.
in Australia issued by BlackRock Investment Management Australia Limited, ABN 13-006-165-975-AFSL-230-523. B-I-M-A-L. The material provides general information only and does not take into account your individual objectives, financial situation, needs, or circumstances. In Latin America, this material is for educational purposes only and does not constitute investment advice nor an offer or solicitation to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any shares of any fund. No securities regulators in Latin America have confirmed the accuracy of any information contained herein. The provision of investment management and investment advisory services is a regulated activity in Mexico, thus is subject to strict rules. For more information on the investment advisory services offered by BlackRock Mexico, please refer to the Investment Services Guide, available at www.blackrock.com mx. Copyright 2019, BlackRock Inc. All rights reserved. BlackRock is a registered trademark of BlackRock Inc. All other trademarks are those of their respective owners.